For people trying to figure out how to do good in the world, top-notch thinking skills, dialogue skills, and the social fabric to support them is key. The Center for Applied Rationality aims to instill those abilities in effective altruists. They are trying, in their words, to actually figure out what the world is made of and how to successfully act on it, in collaboration with other people trying to do the same. Our next speaker, Duncan Sabian, presents an introduction to the Center for Applied Rationality's tools for increasing motivation, avoiding mistakes, and collaborating effectively. Duncan is the curriculum director at the Center for Applied Rationality. He wants to leave the universe noticeably different than before he arrived, and he's currently trying to do this through making things and teaching people. He has a background in Legos, parkour, and middle grades education, and is easily manipulated by quoting, people quoting Ender's Game. Duncan Sabian. Okay, uh, is microphone working? Hooray! All right, uh, so the topic of this talk is convinced, not convincing. Um, a subtitle is The Last Time I'm Going to Try to Convince You of Anything Ever. Uh, essentially, I want to I like, give you one takeaway that's particularly useful for how you will interact with other people here at EA Global. Uh, so two principles. Um, first, I recommend that as you go throughout your life and as you try to make decisions and learn about the world and take actions and so forth, you want to adopt principles and methods that work when they're supposed to and specifically break when they're wrong. Uh, so you could consider like um, if you and I were having an argument and we wanted to sort of decide in advance how, we, like how we'll choose the winner, we could agree to have whoever is the loudest be the winner. Uh, but this is unlikely to produce truth, or at least it's like not strongly correlated with truth. Um, similarly, we could agree to have whoever is the most eloquent and well-spoken be the winner. Uh, this is actually how arguments usually get resolved, but I posit that this is similarly not very well correlated with truth. Uh, so this is, this is an interesting question, is how can you adopt asymmetric methods that work when they should and don't work when they, do, when they shouldn't? Uh, how could you adopt a method of discourse with other people that causes you to update your beliefs in the presence of truth and not update your beliefs in the presence of like convincing falsehood. Um, this isn't just applied to discourse and truth-seeking. There's also things like, uh, have, you, have you ever heard of exposure therapy? Raise your hand if you've heard of exposure therapy. Yeah, this is a process by which you can get rid of your aversions if you have like an aversion to spiders. Uh, there's a very algorithmic specific process by which you can cause your strongly negative reaction to spiders to go down over time uh, and get to the point where you're actually comfortable having poisonous spiders just crawling all over you. Uh, we posit that this is actually bad, right? <laughs> Exposure therapy is a symmetric tool. It works whether the thing that you're averse to is like a proper aversion that you should keep or not, right? You can use exposure therapy to make yourself comfortable with things that you really ought to have remained uncomfortable with. It's a symmetric weapon, and therefore you have to be careful when you use it. Asymmetric weapons are better. Uh, CIFAR has a version of exposure therapy we call comfort zone exploration uh, that causes people to like tiptoe up to things that they're averse to, but when those aversive things are actually bad, uh, you remain uncomfortable with them, which we think is a good method. So two, uh, in addition to asymmetric decision-making, the second thing I would claim is that you should make decisions on a policy level 
as if you were making them for all people similar to you. So like rather than thinking just about yourself, think about, uh, imagine that there's like a hundred people out there in the world who are a lot like you, right? And imagine that you're making the decision on behalf of all 100 of them. This is actually somewhat resembling the real case, right? Uh, because if they're similar enough to you, they're reasoning in the same way that you are. Uh, does this make sense? So they're like, if you think it through and you decide that it doesn't make sense for you to go to the, go to the polls and vote, and like, everybody else who sufficiently shares your values will also decide not to go to the polls and vote. And this could result in a problem, possibly. Uh, so another example, when we run C4 workshops, I have volunteers uh, who come to the workshop and we have to do things like clean up the trash and so forth. Um, and I want to try to give my volunteers one rule that will cause all of them to behave in a good way that like solves problems, right? So the rule can't be, uh, when you see trash, pick up all the trash, right? Because then the, like, the first person in the room is doing this heroic Herculean effort to like clean up the whole room, uh, and then they get burnt out and tired. But the rule also can't be, uh, you know, pick up trash when you feel like it, because then the person who, who rarely feels like it never does any work. Uh, but a rule like, you know, if you see trash, pick up three pieces of it. If I like adopt this sort of policy level uh, rule, then everybody's, everybody's doing a thing that if we all do it, will cause the, the endeavor to succeed. With me so far? Can people like raise your hands to the degree that these two principles make sense? Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, so usually at this point, there are like some symmetric, there are some objections here about like, okay, first, uh, like what makes you think that your actions will actually, you know, influence other people? You could adopt a policy that would work if everybody else took it, but that doesn't mean everybody else is going to take it. Um, and I also get a second opposite objection, which is like, well, what about relying on other people? You're talking about sort of lone wolfing your way through this and like thinking through and making decisions, but not really referencing anybody else. Uh, the place that I'm looking here is sort of the lesson of capitalism. Uh, one of the good things that capitalism did was it tried to build a system where if everybody was like flawed and selfish and broken, we would still sort of end up in a good place. Uh, whereas Communism, more classically, is like, if we're all just really good people, this will totally work, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I think that, there, you know, there are obviously flaws to capitalism. There are obviously virtues to communism. But I think that capitalism had a cool thing there. Like, hmm, what if everyone's terrible? Can we still make it work? Uh, so CIFAR is an org that aims to help people, A, find the correct targets in life, and B, effectively pursue those targets. Those are sort of our two largest categories of techniques that we develop. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have a whole bunch of sessions on B, on like effectively pursuing your targets, navigating uncertainty, and making your way through the world. But for today, I want to focus on A, which is like choosing the right targets or increasing your discernment, your ability to figure out what's actually going on and distinguish truth from falsehood and so forth. Uh, this does include a focus on group rationality and like things that we can figure out together, solving coordination problems. Um, but it starts with individuals for themselves figuring out how to figure out how to figure out how to figure out what's right. Uh, we often get people asking, like, you know, how can I convince my advisor that existential risk matters? Or like, how can I talk to my parents about religion? Or like, how can I convince this colleague of mine that you know, their views are really founded on racism or misogyny or ignorance. Like, we get people saying, like, hey, you're the rationality group, right? Can you help me, like, win arguments and force other people to update? 
Uh, <laughs> but I posit that like this is not actually the algorithm that will cause us to have a society that's focused on truth and succeeding. When you get this like sort of antagonistic mentality of like, hey, how can I win all the arguments? What you do, if you, if you like extrapolate this out across everybody, what you end up with is a whole world where everybody's sort of like building walls around their own private secret belief structure and like lobbing arguments at the other person's belief structure and like hoping that they'll knock it down. Uh, and this just doesn't ultimately end up any place good. Uh, so instead, I posit that there are two ingredients to making things like society-level truth-seeking work, and those are relentless selfishness and radical transparency. So I'm going to sort of... Oh, whoops, wrong one. Sorry, this is... That's our website, that's me. Okay. Basically what's going on is reality is this big old confusing maze, and you are like here in the maze, and you've had access to this much of it. And you run into this other person here, and they've had access to this much of it. And this will cause you guys to disagree. Like this person's opinions about what you should do over here are radically different from yours, right? You have, you have knowledge they don't. And your thoughts about stuff going on over here, you guys are going to disagree. You've like seen different swaths of reality. Does this make sense as a metaphor? Right? Like everybody has different experiences, different knowledge. And I posit that the goal is for you. I said this one was you, right? You want to understand the whole maze, right? You want to be able to see the whole picture, know how causality works, know where all the knobs and levers and switches are, know which way to turn at any given time. Uh, and if you know the whole maze, you will be making good decisions, right? And then also, if you know the whole maze and somebody asks you, you can give them good feedback, right? So the relentless selfishness thing, the idea here is that I'm not particularly interested in convincing this person that they should go left or right. right? They come up to this, they come up to this juncture and they, they start going left. I'm like, hey, I think, I think going left is wrong. And they're like, no, it's the correct move. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in updating them. Instead, what I'm curious about is what do they see that I don't? Right? And this sort of removes the like, oh my gosh, I have to win, or ego is involved in the situation. This sort of turns me, instead of being like, okay, I need to be an update bot that like causes everybody else around me to have the right beliefs. Instead, I become a, a magnet for information, right? Like, oh, you think turning left here is good. Interesting. Like, what what is that? Right? Like, what do you what do you know that I don't? I thought turning right was correct there, but like, I'm curious, can you give me more of the map? Right? I like constantly want to update and, and expand my map as much as possible. And I posit that in the same way that capitalism like takes a whole bunch of selfish people acting selfishly and does at least some good in terms of like growing an economy, if all of you in this room adopt this sort of selfish approach, uh, you're like just stealing as much information as you can, I posit this ends up better than if you're all just trying to convince each other. Right? It's about being convinced, not about being convincing. It's about getting as much information into your own map of the maze as you possibly can. 
And then the second piece of it, remember I said there were two pieces of it, relentless selfishness was one part, and then radical transparency is the other. If everybody is selfishly trying to update their own map as much as possible, and like get as many details on there as you can, and then also when we run into each other in the maze, I'm just like, hey, yo, here's my map. Can, can I see yours? Right? And we just like get as much information on every map as possible. With me so far? Okay. Uh, so the first thing I want to do, I'm going to do a quick check. Um, number one, nobody cheat, like use the internet, don't use the internet on this question, right? Everybody take a moment and from the best of your ability to, to discern, the best of your knowledge, as much of the maze as you've seen, uh, I'm going to write, I'll write over here. Take a guess as to how many nations there are in Asia, in your own head. How many nations are there in Asia? Yeah, nation states, yeah. Give me a thumbs up if you have a thought. Yeah, everybody's got at least, at least like a, like you're not, I'm not asking you to bet money on it, right? <laughs> but like if you, if you were maybe to bet like 10 cents, right? You're like willing to bet 10 cents. Uh, okay, I want to do a quick thing. I want to get uh, 10, 10 numbers, 10, 10 of the guesses. So somebody shout out. 170. 170. 35, 38, 90 what? 96. Uh, another 35. Two. A <laughs> uh, couple more, a couple more, let me see. 45, 40? 120. What's one more? 25. Okay. Sorry? 167. Okay. Uh, now this is likely to work less well in this audience because this audience is generally like more savvy than my base rate audience. Um, but could I get somebody who's got a phone or a computer to really quickly calculate this average? Uh, I want to say something about the number 167 while that's happening, which is that the number 167 was completely meaningless. Uh, I just wrote it on the board to have a big number up on the board. And uh, the last time I did this talk, the number I wrote on the board was 12. Big old, I wrote a big old number 12 on the board. And do you have any theories about what happened? Yeah. Everybody's familiar with anchoring biases? Anybody not familiar with anchoring biases? Yeah. Okay. So what, who, who is averaging this for me? Have we got it yet? 72 is our average. So 72 is our average. When I did the number, when I wrote 12 up there, the average was 18. Right? Brains just do this. You like can't really help it. You see a big number and your brain just like sucks it up. Because your brain, your brain is an information gathering machine, right? Like that's how you survive out in the jungle is you notice things and they influence your decision making, right? The person who's like that, that shadow's probably not a tiger, uh, doesn't live as much as the person who's like, whoa, 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 right? 
So gathering as much information, this is the thing that your brain just does in the background. Uh, did somebody look up how many nations there actually are in Asia? Uh, I think there are only three that cross, right? Russia, Turkey, and one more are in like both Europe and Asia. Huh? What does Google say? The UN says there's 48 Asian 48. 48. So some of you are quite close. Some of you are doing a good job. This person, you successfully did not lose a base point. Okay. Um, but there's this thing that our brains do where they immediately anchor, right? So this, here I'm, I'm like leaning into a tool to make you be a better selfish information magnet, right? So hopefully the maze analogy gave you a sense of like why it's important to listen to other people, right? That other people like have information you don't. They actually, like most people's beliefs exist for reasons. Most people don't have beliefs because they're just dumb. Like it, I, I haven't encountered it yet. Right? Like most people have a causal reason why they have a belief in their head, even if the causal reason is just, well, Steve told me so ever since I was three. Right? Uh, but so there's this like asking questions about the other people to update your map. Uh, there's also this thing. The difference between this group getting 72 and the group with the number 12 getting 18. Uh, when you encounter, when you encounter something in the world and you notice a belief pop up in your own head, right? Um, like, let's say, let's, let's see, I'm trying to choose one that's like not incredibly triggering for half the audience. Most of my examples are triggering <laughs> because we like try to deal with difficult issues. But like, let's say you encounter a news article that like, and you're like, aha, I knew that like that political party was X or whatever, or like I knew that that politician was Y, right? Um, the first thing I'd like you to do is try to de-anchor. Uh, it turns out that like the fact that I wrote the number 167 on the board got into everybody's head. It got into everybody's head. Even the people who said 35, 30, you know, 35, 38, 2, I think that you were doing the right trick, which is the only cure we have for anchoring so far, the only, if, the only thing that we've found that helps is to just sort of violently, aggressively, deliberately anchor on a different number, right? <laughs> so there's a 167 on the board. Uh, and this person was like, ah, that was an attempt to anchor me. I'm going to think about two for a minute. Two. Two, right? Uh, so my colleague Anna, when she's trying to figure out, you know, like how big is the moon or how many countries are in Africa or something like that, if, if anybody said a number in the last five minutes, if somebody said 80, she just like deliberately was like, well, what if it's 8,000? What if there are 8,000 countries in Africa? No? What about four? Right? And just sort of like confusing her brain's net by like causing it to loosen up. Your brain wants to grab onto one thing. If you force it to grab onto two or three things, it starts to like loosen up and then you can actually get new information into your head. Uh, so the thing that I want you to do is whenever you realize that you have a belief or you like have a story constructing itself in your head, step one is to tell yourself, not like Maybe it's possible that, but just like tell yourself that the opposite story is true. Tell yourself. There's a thing where you're like, if you make a plan and, um, if you make a plan and you ask people, you know, like what's going to go wrong with the plan, they don't come up with any good information. But if, if they make the plan and then you're like, hey, your plan failed, what happened? Suddenly like new information comes gushing out. Does this make sense? So like you have your story in your head. And now I want you to briefly pause and imagine the opposite story. 
like, oh my goodness, it turned out that the person who was president from 2016 through 2020 ushered in like an era of peace, prosperity, and goodwill. You just (laughs) tell yourself that for a minute, try it on for a second, and you'll notice two things. First, you'll notice shock and surprise, right? Because you're like, no, that's not, that can't, it can't be. But then you will notice that like things start to pop up of like, oh, it can't be, but like I guess I could see if like this happened, that could explain it. If I was wrong about this, that would explain what, like, like reasons will start to bubble up. And this is the sign that you're on the right track. This is the sign that you've switched from being like knee-jerk, uh, like action reflex machine to actually thinking, right? Uh, in CIFAR, we have techniques called like, we have a technique called goal factoring where you just write down everything related to a scenario, just every single thing you can think of, every good thing, every bad thing, everything involved in the decision. And the purpose of writing down all of it is not to change your mind. Often you write down all of it and you still go with the original thing that you thought was going to be good. The purpose is just to make sure that you're actually aware of everything that's going on. Everything that's going on. You like become aware of all of the factors. And then sometimes, surprisingly, you update. Does it make sense to everybody? So, takeaways, we're coming down to like the end. Uh, as you go through life, but particularly as you go through this conference, I want you to be as selfish as you possibly can about updating your own map. And then like the second layer is also let other people see your map. Right? And in particular, um, in addition to asking the question, what do they see that I don't? I also want you to try on this trick of like every time you think you know the answer, spend 30 seconds living in the world where actually the answer is the opposite. And like notice what other, notice like what flexibility this affords you. Any questions, comments, snide remarks? Cool. Again, we're running a bunch of sessions tomorrow that are less about like finding truth and more about like executing on the truth you think you already know. Uh, that'd be cool if you attend. It'd also be cool if you attend our workshops. They're real good. Um, in the meantime, do we have questions coming in from other people? Let's uh, thank Duncan first. Sweet. Um, all right, I'll take one of the audience questions that showed up on here. Uh, actually, a question I had for you as well. Um, so we can be uh, selfishly updating our maps and try to be cooperative with one another, but you know, there are some people who aren't fully transparent and might not be interested in becoming so. How do you handle the free riders, the people who aren't interested in operating under this universal policy? Yeah. Uh, in essence, I try to like... So first, I try to hold with some skepticism whether or not somebody's a free rider or like a bad actor. It's easier to convince yourself that the other person is evil than to actually have evidence that the other person is evil, right? So if, if I normally, it would take like three pieces of evidence to convince me that you're evil, I like, hmm, it would take three pieces of evidence. I should probably wait until I have six. That's the, the first step. Uh, and then the second step is um, I basically just, like this, this system sort of robust against that, right? Because it's all about me. It's all about my map and my information. And like, it's pretty costless to me to just be like, yep, here's what I know. And so the free rider can't like hurt me. Whereas if my goal is to like do something to you and cause you to change your mind, then you can very easily frustrate me by just being like, nah. I'm like, but no! Yeah. Great. (laughs) Feels answered to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. I appreciate it. Um, oh, wow, we're getting a few more. Wow, five more <laughs> questions from that question. That's great. Um, if everyone tries to be convinced, no one tries to be convincing, and that's a problem, no? I think that is a problem. Uh, but in like a pendulum swing sense, right, uh, we have so many people who are trying to be convincing that it's going to be a long time before I stop just giving the... I'm just spamming the advice, be convinced, not convincing, be convinced, not convincing, because I think it's going to be a long time before that becomes the wrong advice. At some point, that will become the wrong advice. The pendulum will have, like, crossed the halfway mark. But I just... I posit that we're a long way from, from getting there. So... And uh, so imagine that you've pretty limited time. You might think that like the pendulum is that one direction, but you know there's this person you really need to convince, and you think you've seen at least half of the maze. They've seen yeah. like a small fraction of it. Under limited time, should you share your map or try to read theirs? Uh, I still think that sharing your map at the outset is like the best way to actually change other people's minds. Right? Like if you approach a conversation where you're like, let me update your beliefs, let me, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, let me make all of these assumptions about what you believe, let me tell you the truth, right? I think that this just actually works less well. And if you're like, hey, I, I've, I've seen these things and like these arguments were convincing to me. Um, I noticed that they like disagree with yours. Do you, do you, first, first of all, like do you have any thoughts about this stuff? Um, I think that like being willing to expose your own belief structure first uh, causes other people to feel less like they're about to get trapped or tricked, right? If they, if they can, like, oh, okay, hmm, actually, I have some information that, like, my dispute point Q there, uh, then, then, then when you're like, okay, cool, now will you let me know why you believe what you believe? It feels less like a trap. As opposed to, like, I just walk up to you and we know we disagree, and I'm like, hey, I think this conversation will go better if you, like, expose all of your reasoning to me and I can, like, critique it. That doesn't, <laughs> That, that sounds like a trap because it is a trap. Right. Um, so I think, I think when you have limited time, what you do is you like spend the first 5% of that time establishing good faith by like exposing your own belief structure. And then you can get into like, but it's really important for me that I like give you this information. Right. Yeah. Some sort of like uh, empathizing with their model. Right. Um, yeah. So a question that didn't get asked, but I kind of wished it had been. So I'm going to pose <laughs> it anyway. Um, <laughs> I get that power. Um, so you, you did say, try to selfishly update uh, your map. Um, and this is language that for some people really bounces. Just yeah. selfish is like, oh, but I'm an altruist. I can't do anything that's selfish. Um, for those people, do you have a reframe that they might be more amenable to? Maybe, you know, something that really drives home, like, why this is, like, relevant to their world-saving goals. Yeah. Uh, the idea here is I, I posit that each of you wants to be the best agent for goodness and change that you possibly can be. Uh, I posit that most people are mostly good. Most people want the world to be good. Um, and so this breaks down again into, like, how do you figure out what's good? And then how do you effectively pursue it? Um, and I posit that if you adopt the strategy of updating yourself as an agent as hard as you can, getting the clearest image of what's going on in the world, getting the most skills, becoming the, like the best version of yourself, um, that this then has the ripple effects that like you spent, you know, you spent a year leveling yourself up super hard and now everything that you do in the world is that much closer to the actual truth and that much more effective. Um, and it's more guaranteed in the sense that you have a lot more control over what goes on in your own head than you do in what goes on in the heads around you. Uh, so if you adopt this, it seems to be a safe bet. Uh, it won't always be the best move. It won't always work. But just like 
Statistically, on priors, I suspect this is the best move. All right. That certainly resonated with me. With that, uh, thanks again. Let's give him a round of applause. And uh, I know you guys are hungry for lunch, so I won't keep you too long. Um, but I do want to remind you, if you want to see the sessions that Duncan was talking about or speak with him in office hours immediately after lunch, you can find those in the Bizabo app or at boston.eaglobal.org slash agenda. We also have uh, James Torito and Rob Bensinger doing office hours immediately after lunch, so check out the app if you want to find them as well. Thanks so much.